Welcome to From the Medium, a daily report from the front line of the pro-life movement, discussing two worldviews that are driving our culture in opposite directions. From the Median asks, which side of the road are you on? What direction do you want our culture to go? Tune in as we plan the route that takes us back to the culture of life. And now your host, Molly Smith. Good evening and welcome to From the Median, where we are concerned with the middle ground, not just to understand both sides of an argument, but also to awaken the consciences of those who are neutral or perhaps even indifferent to this, the greatest civil rights movement of our times, the pro-life movement. You are listening to us on AM 1220 The Word or 1440 The Word. You can also listen to us every evening on the web at whkwradio.com. Also remember that you can download all of our programs for free from our website, which is fromthemedian.org. If you'd like to join the conversation, please send us a, an email to radionews at fromthemedian.org. This evening, our guest is um, another wonderful young person who is joining us all the way from California, um, another st- uh, a student from Thomas Aquinas College in Santa Paula, uh, California, I am so, I'm so encouraged by, by these young students that we've been able to get onto the program. This is the third uh, student that we've had, um, from, uh, uh, Thomas Aquinas College. We had somebody back in the, in the summit of, right at the beginning of the fall, um, who is actually a, a freshman or, or actually I think she's a sophomore this year. And she is also a, a, a longtime friend of Cleveland Right to Life's. Uh, she grew up here in the, in the Cleveland area, or she at least graduated high school from the Cleveland area. And of course, I'm talking about uh, so, um, Sophia Majic. Um And now we have with us, joining us this evening, another wonderful young man, Zach Reynolds, from who is a senior, as I mentioned, from St. Thomas Aquinas College in Santa Paula, uh, California. Welcome to the program, Zach. Thank you, Molly. It's good to be here. It's great to have you on the program and and to bring uh, fresh voices and fresh ideas and fresh thoughts and just so many so many wonderful things that we've got to talk about this evening, Zach. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we go any further, I would love for you to to introduce yourself to the listeners. Our listeners are basically in Northeast Ohio and the Midwest, so we do go. Our, our program is heard in. West Virginia, Virginia, all the way actually up into southern Canada. So there's, we've got a large listening audience. So introduce yourself. Tell us what, who is Zach Reynolds and, um, you know, just the things that you find to be the most important things about Thomas Aquinas College. Okay. Um, well, as you know, my name is Zach Reynolds. I was born and raised in Texas and, um, I discovered Thomas Aquinas College through some friends, uh, it came to my attention because I have an intense interest in classical education and reading the great works and uh, looking at the great thoughts and the history of Western civilization, as well as understanding the importance of truth and, and that it matters uh, in our society and in our culture. And so those things and those considerations led me to a kind of a, a statewide search for great book schools, and I bumped into Thomas Aquinas College and decided that this was the place for me to be. And so I've been here, and now I'm a senior um, this is my last semester at the school, and uh, I have run the uh, the Walk for Life group uh, on the school for the last two years. Oh, wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. What do you want to do when you leave uh, Thomas Aquinas, Zach? Well, I have two plans right now. Um, the first one is I'm waiting uh, to hear back from an application I put into Hillsdale. They have a statesmanship program um, that they offer, and I would be interested in applying to the master's. 
Um, so that's the first step that I'd like to do. And then after I complete that program, I'm interested in going on to law school. Um, so ultimately, I would like to practice law, either constitutional law or uh, criminal criminal work, defense or prosecutorial. Oh, wow. Wow. So, so we could be uh, talking to a future Supreme Court justice hey, at some point. <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't know if I would go that far. I mean, I think that's maybe a secret dream of many people, but um, hey, appointment would not be out of the question. <laughs> You've got to keep the vision bright and open, you know, so that you can. <laughs> yeah. And, and from, from what I've been reading in, your, in, all the, in the work that, you've, that was provided to me that, that you've written, um, you know, that's part of it. You've got to learn as to how does this happen and, uh, you know, how can I prepare myself to get to that point? So I am hoping that having, having, um, have come in contact with, with several of the students there from St. Thomas Aquinas, those are the types of Supreme Court justices that we need. So let's, we'll be praying for you, Zach. How's that? <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So let's jump into, into, uh, what's been going on. Um, with the students at St. Thomas Aquinas and the, um, the Sa- San Francisco March for Life. I have yeah. to tell you that, um, we have had some, some up close and personal experience with the San Francisco March for Life because one of our dear, dear friends from, from this area, uh, one of the leading black pastors in, in the region, um, mm-hmm. approached us about two months ago and said that he'd been invited to speak at the San Francisco uh, March. And so he was looking for some sponsorship. And of course, we jumped all over it and said, we will sponsor you to go out there and, yes, and do yeah. your, and do whatever you need to do. So we did, Cleveland Rights Life had a presence out there. So I, I was so thrilled when I realized that Thomas, so this was way before I realized that Thomas Aquinas had, had, you know, you guys are also in a very lead role out there. So tell us a little bit about, about the march and about the role that Thomas Aquinas plays. You know, those are two very large questions. I'm going to try to take each of them in a fair turn. Exactly. And we've got lots of time. So, so let's, let's, yeah. so you do whichever way you want it. Yeah. Well, starting with, um, starting with our role with, with the march and then maybe moving on to the broader idea. You know, we've been, we've been with the San Francisco Walk for Life since the very beginning when they had somewhere between five and seven thousand people. And, um, with, with the school, um, Thomas Aquinas trains its students to think, and they trains its students in order to be able to look critically at an issue and to act out on what we believe and what we are, are convicted about um, through this search and this intensive look for and at truth. Um, and so I think that, that going to an event like the Walk for Life and other pro-life events in the area is a very natural extension of our education. And at first, the school uh, treated it just as simply a few students were going up. And as time went on... Um, and the, the walk grew, so did the interest at the school, and I think so did the interest everywhere else. And so as time has gone on, uh, we went from taking up a few carfuls of people you know, back 10, 11 years ago to this year we took up over 300 people oh, between wow. students, alumni, and some parents and tutors um, of the college. So our participation, just in terms of sheer numbers, has grown. Um, but one of the amazing things for me also about our participation is that not only have our numbers grown as well, but the uh, the organizers for the Walk for Life, particularly Ben Parchers and Tom Schulhammer, who are with us uh, every year, um, they're some of the leaders, uh, have come to value, I think, Thomas Aquinas College uh, students' ability to be a presence at the front of the walk. And we do a lot of things in that capacity. So every year, we, or at least for the past several years, we have helped them set up the parameter. So the front of the walk, they tend to want young people in there, college students, high school students, of course, the bishops. Um, and the, the speakers that they have at the event. But they want to show that this is a young 
uh, a new generational issue and one that is not something that is being held on to by a bunch of old white men, I think is the way that the common opinion goes, um, but something that is important for all of us. And um, so we, we first fill that role in the front. Mm-hmm. But in addition to that, the uh, young men that come from the college help out with security. So we have vests that help us deal with things like crowd control, as well as working with the line, contouring it, making sure that we fill the street appropriately. And our young ladies are often not only presenting a face at the front of the walk, but they lead us in singing, um, particularly hymns and some chants that we do. But overall, all of the students at Thomas Aquinas College set an excellent tone and demeanor for the walk because it is one of peaceful determination and at the same time, joy, that we are able to come in and be a part of this movement, exercise a civic duty, as well as represent a cause and serve God in a manner befitting us. Um, that we are able to go before all people and seek to raise awareness about an issue that is absolutely crucial in our society. Um, Zach, walk me through what, uh, and the listeners through what actually happens. Is this, is the, mm-hmm. is the walk for, uh, the March for Life in San Francisco very different from the national one in DC? Or if, if it's, if it is, that's fine, but what is different if, what do you see as being different? You know, I can't compare it too much to D.C. because, regrettably, I've never had the opportunity to go. Um, I know that when I go to Hillsdale, if that happens, um, I know that they send some students every year, and I'm sure that I will be a participant there. But just to walk you through what happens in San Francisco itself, um, the rally typically starts kind of mid-morning after a pro-life mass at at the St. Mary's Cathedral. Um, And once the rally gets started, they have a number of keynote speakers, of course, that come in and, and give wonderful messages. Um, once those speakers start to wind down, um, we begin to form up the walk itself. And this, to give you an idea, it involves just thousands and thousands and thousands of people. We are not yet the size of D.C., but I think that given a number of more years, we will begin to rival them. This year, I believe that the estimates were that we had between 65 and 70,000 people. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, so the formation, what, what we do when we get there is we first have an opportunity to listen for a little while to the pro-life speakers. But then after that, um, we come over to the intersection of the streets where the walk is going to start. And we walk down Market Street, which is San Francisco's uh, main thoroughfare. And it's about we walk down about a one-and-a-half-mile stretch of that. And so after we've had an opportunity to listen to a few of the speakers, we come in um, and we form a parameter around this street in order to allow the front of the line to fill with the young people and, and the, basically the people that the, the public relations uh, women like to have in the front. Um, and then after that, that parameter is formed, um, we wait there, listening as best we can to the speakers, but we wait there until we're given the go-ahead by the police officers to, to start the march. And the whole time that this walk is going on, we, we have um, there's a troop of San Francisco police officers that go in front of us, and they make sure that the side streets, of course, are cleared, that the thoroughfare is cleared, as well as making sure that the protesters respect the boundaries along the sides of the street that we're walking on. Let, let's so let's we, let's finish off when we come back after this break, because I really want to I want people to understand what it is that you that you are doing and the awesome um, spectrum of of what's happening out there in San Francisco, because it's not an air, an easy area to be. To be marching for life, I know that. So let's, <laughs> no, <it's not. laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about that when we come back from the break. We're talking to Zach Reynolds, who is a senior at St. Tom- at Thomas Aquinas College in in California. We bet that we will be back with you right after this short break.
Welcome back to From the Media, and I'm Molly Smith, your host. I'm not going to waste any time. We've got lots to cover this evening. I'm going to let our guest, Zach Reynolds, continue on to tell us a little bit about uh, the, the feeling and, and, and the, the excitement, and as he put it so, so beautifully, the joy of, of the activism that goes into the San Francisco March for Life. Zach is a, a student, a senior at um, Thomas Aquinas College in Santa Paula, California. And Zach, before the break, you were telling us a little bit about, you were explaining to us how the whole march works, which from what, from your description, I will be very honest with you, I have never been to the DC march either because we are always involved in things that are going on right here in Cleveland and we normally run all of the events mm-hmm. here in Cleveland. So, but from, from watching the television coverage and stuff like it, this sounds like it's, it's quite a little different. You also have the, the, um, the advantage of not having, you know, obviously the weather's off much more conducive to march than it is in D.C. many times. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> Bright and sunny this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, so, so, you end, so you, you're now on the perimeter. You've, uh, the, you get the go-ahead from, from the police. Um, yeah. Then what happens next? Um, and then we start walking. And once we start walking, it is, it is a force and a sight to behold because people are literally just pouring in from all sides to join this movement. Um, and as they pour in from all sides to join, the walk swells and it grows. And we just continue to march straight down Market Street. And like I said earlier, it's about a one and a half mile stretch. And once we reach the end of the walk, um, we kind of head into what's called the Justin Herman Plaza. It's a plaza uh, close to the the wharf. Um, and then from there, there's booths set up. Um, there's continuing to be speakers oftentimes. And then other than that, people just kind of dissipate. Some of them go back to their bus and some of them head out for an evening uh, on San Francisco. Oh my goodness! Wonderful, wonderful. You know, there was something that you that that you said. I, I read a, um, a sort of a description of what had happened last year um, mm-hmm. that you wrote, and I, I loved what you said. Um, you, you you said that the college doesn't really have any part in this, other than allowing you to do it. They don't do any organizing. It's done by the students. If you want to get involved, you get involved. It's not it's not a mandatory thing or the, the you know the teachers are or the, the professors are saying, come on, you guys have got to get yourselves organized. It's it's done basically by the students. And you said, this is what we are trained for. You you're getting frustrated but then you realize that this is what you are trained for. Explain a little bit more about that. Sure, Molly. I think that to give uh, to give a little more context there, I think uh, last year was my first year to try to organize this, and I obviously not having done it before was not entirely prepared for the monumental task that it is. And to give you an idea again, this year, uh, like I said before, we took about 300 people up, which I have to have track of, and we're working with a budget of about $11,000. Um, so it's a considerable endeavor, and in doing this. Um, what was frustrating to me was that the school, uh, Thomas Aquinas College, does not in any way officially endorse it. We're not a, uh, a group. We don't get any benefit or any time off of our classes for this kind of work. Um, the school provides us with no financial support. Um, the list kind of goes on with those kinds of things, things that are commonly given to clubs and student organizations of other schools. And Thomas Aquinas College chooses not to offer us any of these kinds of things. And I think, put simply, the reason for that is that we are here in training in order to be able to go out and make our own way with these kinds of things. And this is an event that the college fully endorses. They love the fact that we do it, but they want us to be doing it because the motivation has to come first from within ourselves, 
and second, because they don't want to distract us from the education that is going on at the school. And therefore, it's not a, a universal um, or an overall push for pro-life work that the school does, but rather a simple nod of the head, a kind of sanctioning of this event um, in isolation as a taste of what they hope we will be able to do upon leaving the school. I I, I loved that that you got that, Zach, because you know what? In real life, let's face mm-hmm. it, in real life, those parents, those hundreds of thousands of, of businessmen and, and workers, blue-collar worker, white-collar worker, you name it, nobody says to them, okay, their, their business, their, their place of work or whatever they may be doing doesn't come to them and say, okay, we're going to organize for you guys. We're going to give you the day off, you know, and if you come back in late, it's fine. We're expecting you to... <laughs> Yeah. You know, none of yeah. that happens. This is real life. Real life, we have to deal with that kind of stuff. You, you, you mentioned here, and, and, and I'm, you know, I have to be very honest, and, and the listeners have heard me saying this before. I have mm-hmm. mixed feelings about the March for Life in mm-hmm. D.C. because I oftentimes feel that while, yes, there are, there are hundreds of thousands of students that are going to the March for Life, I mm-hmm. have to oftentimes wonder, are they going because it's a freebie? Are they going because they get time off school or are they going because they feel this in their hearts, in their beings, that they have to be there? And you wrote something that was very poignant for me. You said, although some Catholic schools push their students to be involved in political activism and provide opportunities for action, Thomas Aquinas pulls away from the world and requests that we exchange our desire for activism for an absolute dedication to its academic program. The college blesses but doesn't promote our trip to San Francisco. This, to me, is key. Mm -hmm. If we are going to, uh, and, you know, you can tell me whether you agree with this or not. From my perspective, if we are going to empower our young people to become the leaders of the future that we need, we cannot spoon-feed them. We have to let them, we have to teach them how to do this and then let them go. We cannot be doing it for them. Well, Molly, I think I can first say that you've just validated me as a writer because I think that was largely the point that I was trying to convey in the piece that you were reading. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Um, But no, I I absolutely agree with you that uh, in that that same article, but just to reiterate it here, um, you know, when I come out of this school, and it's not even just this school, this should be something that's universal for every young man or woman everywhere. But we should hold a position because we have thought about it, because we have looked at it, because we have considered it. And once we have done that, we should be able to look at it and say, I believe this, or I am convicted in this way, in such a manner that I am willing to act out on it, because I have taken the time to look at it. Not because it is easy, nor because it is convenient, but because it is right, and it is true, and therefore worthy of our efforts to promote and further a cause. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and this is one, this is what's been frustrating me because last year when we did our March for Life, um, mm-hmm. 2013, um, our youth rally for life on this, on our, we do, we do a chair in public square in, in the downtown Cleveland area. And, um, it was sort of towards the end of all of the, you know, the 99% and all of those, you know, all of, all of that, mm-hmm nonsense that was going on and I'm sorry if anybody disagrees with me that's you know that's what I my, my opinion is it was all nonsense because because what happened was you had this huge flash in the pan everything went you know alight and blazing and then boom everything fell apart because once these 
once these young people that were supposedly being the voice of the future, once somebody had stopped paying for them to, to, to you know, providing them with the hamburgers on in the, giving them their tents, etc., they all went home back to their comfortable places. They had no, they had no, you know, sort of really uh, money in, in 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 the game sort of thing. There was nothing for them to be there. And this is what I'm I'm hearing from you is that this is the difference from from Thomas Aquinas. Am I right? Yes, yes, it is. And and to speak to that a little bit further. You know, when, our, when students from Thomas Aquinas and other colleges as well, there are, there are many colleges that, whose students make huge efforts to be at the San Francisco Walk for Life. But when we go, um, first of all, we are paying. Every student is paying at least 40 or $50 between their ticket up um, as well as food and lodging while we're up in San Francisco. So in the first place, it is a cost, a real cost to the students. But in addition to that, they go up, and we talked uh, extensively actually about this before leaving this year, we go up with an attitude of service. Mm-hmm. That we are there in order to help the directors of the March for Life, as well as we are there to serve in whatever capacity that looks like. And so for some students, that means that after the walk is over, they spend hours standing on a sidewalk directing traffic in order to help people go across um, the, the busy streets of San Francisco. And that's not something that's easy to do. That's not yeah. something that's convenient for them. But it's something that they choose to be because they have a conviction which breeds action in them. Absolutely. My guest this evening is Zach Reynolds. He is a senior at Thomas Aquinas College in Santa Paula, California. And we are just discussing um, how our young leaders are forming. And Thomas Aquinas is doing a great job of this. Um, stay with us. We uh, this is this is of course our our daily report from the front lines of the pro life movement. We will be back with you right after this short break. Welcome to From the Medium, a daily report from the front line of the pro-life movement, discussing two worldviews that are driving our culture in opposite directions. From the Median asks, which side of the road are you on? What direction do you want our culture to go? Tune in as we plan the route that takes us back to the culture of life. And now your host, Molly Smith. Welcome back. This evening our guest is Zach um, Reynolds, who is a senior at Thomas Aquinas College in, in Santa Paula, California. He is giving us um, a little bit of, a, of, a, of an overview of what happened at the San Francisco March for Life. And, um, Zach, there's something that I wanted to get to. We've got so much to get to. I've got lots and lots of questions for you. And, and the more you talk, the more the questions come. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I wanted to ask you about is that you did mention in, uh, you mentioned it in passing and uh, you know, I picked it up from the essay that you wrote about your experience. Um, sometimes the people that you meet, uh, the, the, the protesters that you come up uh, across, um, it's it's quite difficult to deal with this. Give us give us a little bit of a background on that. Yes. Um, let me describe a scene to you, and actually, I'm going to describe two scenes to you and let you think about these. Um, the first scene is that oftentimes, commonly, whenever a, a protest of this kind of nature and particularly this magnitude goes on, um, there are men and women on the opposite side, and it is. Wonderful, in fact, living in America, that they are on the opposite side, that there is this opportunity for civic discourse to take place, and they have a chance to hold their signs and to have their say, um, and so do we. But there's also a kind of peaceful and mutual respect that goes on in that. 
and many of the protesters that we encounter in San Francisco <clears throat> are of this nature. Um, they hold their signs. Some of them even walk alongside us on the sidewalks during the walk, um, voicing their own uh, opinion about where they fall on this issue. But then some of the protesters, and I noticed this, I've been going to the, the Walk for Life in San Francisco for four years now, but in some of them there's a very different attitude, and it's, 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 a, um, it's a kind of hate and a kind of fear, I believe, of the pro-life movement um, that I find difficult to comprehend and difficult to understand. And those are the ones that are, that are hard to work with and hard to be with when you're at the walk. It's not the ones that stand by the sidelines or even walk along with us peaceably holding a sign and expressing their dissent, maybe even their frustration with the position that we hold. It's the ones that curse at us, the ones that malign us, um, the ones that try in every way to make us feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, those are the ones that are difficult to understand, and those are the ones that it is hard to be near while we are walking. Wow. And as you say that, that's that's interesting that you would recognize that because I, I was just reading very recently the the the, the, uh, the state of affairs in China, where all that the the Chinese dissidents are trying to do right now is to be able to voice where the citizens are. They some mm -hmm. of them may even be for the government, and some of them may be for the for, for you know against. But all mm -hmm. they're trying to do is to be able to get that voice out there, to be able to speak. Their, who, the, who, what they feel as a citizen, and I think yeah. you you touched that very very clearly. Um, we in America, I think, are are so incredibly blessed with mm -hmm. with the with this you know the whole the way the whole foundations have been built around the this, the the Constitution, the founding fathers, the way they put together the the the, the whole governing system. Is just inspired from my perspective anyway. When, and having lived in different countries, I just look at America and go, wow, they really, really got this right. But I feel right now, <laughs> yep. it, it's so true. I feel, Zach, right now though, that we're on the cusp of perhaps losing this. Have you heard, Molly, about the, the Supreme Court case that's coming up recently that's considering the buffer zones on free speech? Yes. Why didn't you tell the, yeah. why didn't you tell the listeners a little bit more about that? You know, I know precious little about it, but all yeah. I know is that there are a number of abortion clinics in a number of different American cities um, which have sought city ordinances restricting the freedom of speech Absolutely. within a buffer zone of about 35 feet, I think it is, yes. um, from the front door of these clinics. Yeah. And this is something that is, is literally unheard of yeah. um, because it's a, it's a gross violation of our freedoms of speech mm -hmm. and a deliberate attempt to repress a dissenting voice. Mm -hmm. And it represents the antithesis of what we are trying to do at the Walk for Life. Mm -hmm. We are trying to give a voice to those who have no voice yeah. and to try to, in turn, repress even that level of, of vocalization. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just it, it's a travesty. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to move on because I've got so much to so much to 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 talk to you about. You, uh, I'm going to read from your essay, and it, it's just, I'm, it, it's phenomenal. You, you, hopefully, somewhere on the Thomas Aquinas website, they post the the writings that you students do because I am so incredibly impressed with the writing um, that I've read from from several of your of the students there. But one of the things you said is, no people argue in the same way, and no idea is so menial, menial or manifest that it doesn't deserve a fair hearing. We have learned to release the selfish desire to be right so that we, we may be, we are truly free 
to listen to others with respect and compassion. Wow. Wow. That you would understand that at your age, Zach, is phenomenal. I says, I think it says a lot to your parents and to your upbringing, but also to the school that it's allowing you to actually grow that, you know. So I have a um, wonderful set of parents. So I'm sure you do. It doesn't happen with them. Yeah, absolutely. I always put that in there as a parent myself because I know how much work the parents put into this. <laughs> yeah. uh, goodness. How, explain for the, for the audiences, for, for the listeners a little bit more about, about what you mean there. We have learned yeah. to release mm-hmm. a selfish desire. I think that whenever we enter in a conversation, um, that in order to have a, a truly good conversation with one another, there is a kind of mutual sharing that goes on, as well as the respect for, for the other person that must be present. And what I'm speaking to when I talk about the selfish desire to be right is that many of us do this. I, I do this all the time, too. You're in a conversation, you're talking to somebody, you hear something, and you pick up on a word, and you go, oh, I have a response for that. I know something to say, and you cease to listen to them. Mm-hmm. And it's because you're interested in being right. You're interested in what you have to say. You're interested in getting your point across. And I think that that is, in fact, a very selfish thing that we do. Then instead, we should be able to listen to everyone with equanimity and patience, and a recognition of the validity that their position has, however wrong we may think that it is. And that the inability to do that is, in fact, incredibly selfish because it says, I am right, and in fact, I am so right that I do not even have to listen to you. And that is wrong. We do have to listen to everyone, if for no other reason than that it is only by listening that we can begin to change hearts and minds. Absolutely. Oh, so well said. So well said. I'm going to post this up there and make sure it goes everywhere. Um, because that is, you know, we, at the moment we're, we're in a big discussion at this point in time and we are, um, we're discussing the whole marriage issue. Um, yes. and Cleveland Right to Life took a very, very strong stand on the fact that we don't see how you can separate the, the support for, for marriage for a strong family from mm-hmm. the right to life. Because, you know, without, as Father Pavone says, without life, there is no family. Without family, there is no life. Mm-hmm. But as we've been going around and talking about this more and more, um, what we found, it's an interesting thing. And that's why this, this particular, what you wrote there really struck me. What I find is as we're trying, as we're trying to talk to people and as we're trying to go out and do, you know, just say, this is why we've done this. And here it is. We're quite willing to listen to why people may think we're wrong and we are willing to say that we are wrong. But as we talk, I see so often people sort of glazing over and can't wait till we finished with our point so that they can come back and defeat us. Mm-hmm. It's, and that's, that's a lose for everybody. It is. And it recognizes, or I shouldn't say it recognizes, it displays an astonishing lack of humility and an astonishing lack of the recognition of our own um, inadequacy mm-hmm. with every one of these issues. These are massive issues, and they're not issues that are going to be resolved simply because I have an opinion about them. They are only issues that can be decided for the individual in the way that he will act based off of a careful consideration of all of the available information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, when you listen to two, if you listen to two opinions, if someone has a different opinion from you, this is the way I always think about it too. If someone has a different opinion from you, if you listen to them, you come away with, with, um, with two opinions rather than with one. You, you've now got more to draw from because everybody, and, and that's yeah. what, that's the wonderful thing that I saw that coming through in your writing is that the recognition that everybody is a unique individual and has different 
things to contribute to the world, different ideas, different, you know, and, and this is phenomenal. This is absolutely phenomenal that you've already got this, that you understand. That's why everybody out there, I'm rooting for, for, for Zach to be the, uh, one of our future Supreme Court justices. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I, if, let me jump in on two, yeah. two things on that actually that, that occurred to me here. And the first is that, when you engage in a classical conversation, and by that I'm talking about looking at the books that have formed our tradition, um, the Western tradition of thought, you realize that many of their authors disagree, but all of them treat each other with a profound amount of respect. Mm -hmm. And that it's only by listening to one another and building from one another that they're able to develop further truths. Mm -hmm. And now here's the other thought that I had based off of that, which is that when we go up to the walk for life, what we are seeking to do is not change anybody's mind or be the loudest voice, even though it is nice to have a lot of people up there. I won't deny that. But what we are seeking to do is raise awareness. And what personally I feel like our purpose is, why I feel that the walk is so important, is that we cannot let an issue like this, the question of the sanctity of life, we cannot let it go away because of ignorance and apathy. And those things are the first that must be combated. And that is the reason why the San Francisco Walk for Life, the D.C. March for Life, and all of these other walks that are cropping up in various states and major cities across the United States are happening because we need to raise awareness about this. Mm -hmm. We do not have to change your mind. We're not fighting to force you to have a different position. But we are what we are fighting for. What we ask of you is that you look and consider this carefully, that you listen to us and do not let this go by because of ignorance or apathy. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, before we end, uh, and, and we've got another whole segment, but be, uh, be, we have to get to the to the reason to, uh, why you are so so ad, you know so committed to the to the sanctity of human life, Zach. Because I think this is the part that you know. Yes, we can all be marching. Yes, we can be we can all be expressing ourselves in an active way. But we have to understand that that inner turmoil that goes on with all of us over this issue, mm-hmm. because if we don't, if we cannot express it properly, then I, I just feel and I think we are doing it very well. I think, you know, the more we have young people like you and and your college group there that are out there and, and making this happen and, and actually expressing themselves in in not only just in action, but also verbally and being able to write about this. The more we are winning this battle, I really do see us winning this battle. Where do you, uh, we've got two minutes left in the segment, so I'm going to come back with that. I want to ask you, uh, you know, uh, in the last segment, um, the, the convictions that you have and, and the convictions that you see your fellow students <clears throat> having and the convictions that you saw around you at the March for Life, where do you see this going in the future? How do you see the things changing? Do you see a change in Roe v. Wade, or do you think it's just going to become a law that is no longer relevant anymore because everybody understands understands the, the you know the tragedy that is involved in in the abortion issue? We are talking to Zach uh, Reynolds, who is a senior at Saint Thomas at, at Thomas Aquinas College in in Santa Paula, California. He will be back with us right after this short break. Please stay with us. And remember that we are only able to bring this program to you every night because of your incredible generosity over the past several years, being able to help us to keep it going. So if you would like to help us, please send us a donation to clevelandrightslife.org or go to fromthemedian.org and you can make a donation right online. We'll be back with you right after this short, this short break.
Welcome back to From the Media, and I'm Molly Smith, your host. You are listening to us on AM 1220 The Word or 1440 The Word, and you can also listen to us every night on the web at whkwradio.com. All of our programs are available for download at fromthemedian.org. Um, our guest this evening is Zach Reynolds, who is a senior at Thomas Aquinas College in Santa Paula, California. You can just Google the name, and up it will come with with the, all of the details about this incredible college. Um, any of you out there that are considering um, trying to decide where you're going to college, you have now heard two students uh, from uh, three students actually from Thomas Aquinas, and I think this is a great choice for young people who really want to make a difference and take a leadership role in the future. Back to our question, Zach, before the break. Mm-hmm. How do you see all of this unraveling? How do you see the future from Zach Reynolds' perspective? You know, Molly, when Roe v. Wade was decided, um, a lot of people thought that the initial protests and the initial outrage and reaction that went on would quickly die down, um, that it would be a kind of passing frenzy um, that would be soon let go of. And I think that we've seen over the last 40 years that that is not the case, that that is not something that can be or will be let go of. And I think that ultimately we're seeing decisions that are going both ways on the pro-life, pro-choice question. Um, I would like to think that eventually the Supreme Court might be willing to have a rehearing of a case uh, similar to Roe v. Wade, because in that case they did not really decide the question of the sanctity of life. Um, Rather, they declared themselves incompetent to decide that question. Mm Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that that, first of all, was an unfortunate decision for those reasons. But I think that, I hope, I should say, that eventually we will have a rehearing of that case. In addition to that, I mean, many states are now able to pass laws similar to what existed pre-Roe v. Wade times. Um, They're not as strong or as forceful, but they are in place. And I think that what we're watching is a gradual movement politically uh, towards a more careful consideration of life issues. But more importantly than that, I think that where the change is going to have to occur is not from our political area, but rather from the hearts and the minds of the citizens of this nation. Mm-hmm. And how much better would it be to not have to have a law declaring abortion to be illegal or unethical, but rather to have everyone able to consider this, and to look at what's going into it, and to decide for themselves that the life that they carry is precious and should be protected at any cost. You know, and it's interesting. I have very recently um, started to work with the personhood people and, and um, you know, always, always recognize the sanctity of human life from the moment of conception. That's why I've done this my whole life since, you know, I've, I was around, I was in my teens and uh, early 20s when, when the whole Roe v. Wade decision was made and, and mm-hmm. all of that. So I spent my whole life fighting this. Um, but, but you are so right because I think if we can get people to understand, which is what your, the, the Supreme Court did not decide, they did not decide that they, they stated categorically that they couldn't make that decision as to when, if, if, if it could be proven that, a, that an unborn child is a person, then they have all those same rights. <laughs> you, you know, Molly, I, um, you asked me earlier, too, why a person who is pro-life. And before jumping completely into that, I wrote a, a speech for high school um, on this question, and I looked at the Roe v. Wade decision. And my mom was a lawyer, so she helped me work my way through some of the decision. But just to, to give you um, a specific piece, this is a rough paraphrase, but in that decision they said that as long as the medical, um, moral, and philosophic community and religious communities 
cannot decide on whether the unborn is alive or not, we, the court, are not in any position to decide as to the issue. Um, And unfortunately, I think that the positions of the medical, philosophic, ethic, and religious communities are fairly clear at this point. Maybe it's time we have a rehearing. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I very recently had a guest on the show that was uh, that was talking about that. And, you know, she said the further along we go, the the more we, we get to the point where we realize that that science and religion are actually one and the same. The, the, they'll, <laughs> when you when you wait for, you know, they say, oh, we're all we're all into the scientific. You know, it's, mm-hmm. if it's not can't be proved scientifically, then the religious people have to go and step aside. Well, the, the more the further down the path, this path we go, the more you realize that religion is actually out front with well, God's word. The truth is out mm-hmm. in front of all of this because. There is only one truth. And, and I love that with what was, which was another thing that I want to quickly get to before we, before we end up. Um, it's, you said that, the, um, and I'm going to read it again from your voices. You, you, you said, um, let me just find it here. You, in your paragraph, Developing Our Voices, I have often wondered why, given the training we receive, the college doesn't encourage us to be more active during our time here. After, <clears throat> after, all, if our formation is so ideal, it seems we ought to seek opportunities to practice the virtues we're learning. Why wait until after graduation to become active in the world around us? It seems to me that there are two reasons why the school imposes this limitation. Now, I'm going to let you, I'm going to pull you, I'm going to give you a, a test here to see if you remember what you said was the first reason and the second reason. And you can get them out of order if you don't remember them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have the essay in front of me so I can help you through it. Yeah. Um, I'm probably I'm going to get them out of order, but I recall that the first reason um, had to do with the fact, or, or one of the reasons was the fact that training. That's it. Uh, that was the first one. Yes. <laughs> absolute commitment to what is going on in front of you, um, and so to, to say that is that it's important. It's kind of like the athlete. You know, the athlete doesn't, or, or the marathon runner. Let's use him as an example. You know, he doesn't go out and run 26 miles repeatedly before actually running a marathon. Um, he trains up to it. Mm-hmm. And he dedicates himself to the training process first and then goes out and does his job to the best of his abilities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the second reason, if I recall, was that the dedication to the curriculum here is our our opportunity to solidify and firm up our convictions. Am I right? Yes, you are absolutely right. Yes. Yes. And it is only by, again, an absolute dedication to what is going on here and now that I'm able to discover for myself and understand the reasons why I believe what I believe and then am able to act out from that. But the settling of those must be completely firm first. Yes, exactly, exactly. Have you found, Zach, that, that there were some, some um, opinions and notions that you had when you came into the school when you were a freshman that have actually changed over the years and you might have taken it, you might be at a different point now? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Most definitely on many, many things. I mean, I could probably give you a myriad of examples, but just maybe let it suffice to say that I change my mind here all the time as I, as I encounter new information and new ideas and I come to understand things better. And that is something that will not stop here. Yeah. Um, it's only going to become worse if I can say it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a good thing. Well, that's not a bad. That's it a good thing. It is an excellent thing. Yeah. Oh no, it is yeah. an excellent thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because we should be open to that. I mean, I, I think this this mm-hmm. all comes right back to where we started. We we should be open to being able 
to do that. We should be saying, okay, if I am going down the wrong path, isn't that what, isn't that what Jesus was teaching us? I mean, that's what he came down to, 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 to show us. If we are going down the wrong path, we need to stop and say, ah, you know, put the brakes on here. This is not where we should be going and be able to step back and go back the other way. Absolutely. Yeah. And that goes right back to something you'd asked me earlier about the humility in our conversations. And that's part of our recognition is a willingness to be wrong. Yeah. A desire to be right, but a willingness to be wrong. Yeah. If, yeah, if abs- so happens that we are. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's, how many times are we not wrong? I mean, you know, and I, and I think that's, that's the cool thing about what I'm, what I'm seeing that's coming out of, out of Thomas Aquinas is that, is that it's, actually forming you and allowing you to be wrong because I think when we get so set in our ways when we get so you know stuck then everything starts to suddenly just grind to a halt you, mm-hmm. you see the culture and, and I for me this is it's a backward thing that you know the culture of death is is actually us going backwards because we can no we can no longer see so much of the culture of death is um, is built on on um, a self-focused um, way of thinking where it's mm-hmm. me, 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 as opposed mm-hmm. to you know what's best for, for for all of us, and and mm-hmm. and in being best for all of us, it becomes best for me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, hey. we we give give me give me uh, um in a nutshell, mm-hmm. Zach Reynolds's uh, glimpse of the future. Of the pro-life movement, as a pro, well, as a pro-life movement, or as a as a culture going forward, as as a as a country going forward. Um, I think that what you were just pointing out about the uh, the developing of of the selfishness, the increasing in, in relativity, um, the contentment with uh, staying at home and being where we are, in a way, the lack of ambition maybe would be a way to sum it all up. That many Americans are now experiencing. I think that that is something that is extremely dangerous mm-hmm. for our future. And I also think that, as Tocqueville recognized in his work, Democracy in America, that we are now experiencing a time where ideas have so much force over the freedom of thought of the individual that we need to guard ourselves carefully and that we need people, speakers, radio shows, television shows, pastors, anyone in a public capacity or a public office to encourage people to continue looking and thinking for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that what our future is going to look like is that we need strong people, strong men and women, strong leaders to engage in a political way in our society. And at the same time, we need the kind of education that my school provides. We need the kinds of education that encourages students to think for themselves, to look carefully, and to engage with the society around them. And as long as we continue to engage, I think that there's a hope for where we will go. It has been my pleasure to have Zach Reynolds with us on the on the on the line tonight to to share all of the incredible information he has shared with us. Gives us so much hope, Zach. Thank you so much for joining us, joining us and for Thomas Aquinas College for allowing you to have this time to speak with us. Thank you, Molly. Thank you so much. Thank you all for stopping by for a short while with us on on the median to reflect at that on what will get what will get us to our final destination as we travel on the highways and byways of life. Please join us every weeknight from 9 o'clock on From the Media. And God bless you all.
From the Median is sponsored by Cleveland Right to Life and is listener supported. Visit our website, fromthemedian.org, for further information or to make a donation to continue to make this radio program possible. Email us, radionews at clevelandrighttolife.org, or call 216-661-3000. Through our fromthemedian.org website, you can purchase CDs of our previous symposiums, learn how you can place a truth booth at your school or church, and stay abreast of upcoming events. Tune in tomorrow night at 9 p.m. to From the Median, only on AM 1220 The Word, as we plan the route that takes us back to the culture of life.